guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am doing well. It's the season of love, and I have oh, a lot gosh. of things to love this week. <laughs> <laughs> what on earth? <laughs> Uh, okay, same. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. I, you know what? I was at five and below with my son yesterday, and they had Easter stuff out. I was like, you have to calm down. Like, they please let us get through this one. They are constantly doing that. They're like pushing out holidays before they've even come and then setting up already for Easter. And when is Easter? April? March, April. Yeah, something like that. It's like the end of that. But like, why would you do that? I, I was so confused on like where I was, what day it was. He's like, come on, mom, just keep walking. <laughs> I had no idea what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the spirit of love, Melissa, I was talking about when I said I had oh, a lot to love. I only mm-hmm. meant me. I just had one thing to love you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Go ahead. What's the actual thing? <laughs> Melissa, you already know this, but my family got a new puppy. Oh, yeah, you did. Okay. And the little guy is actually in my lap. (gasps) Stop it. You can see him on the screen. The Mm. listeners can't see him. But he is in my lap while I'm recording because he doesn't like to be by himself. So to prevent the crying and the puppy wailing, he's in my lap. You're setting yourself up for a good precedent over there. We both had babies we had to wear for quite some time. Yes. <laughs> this is the best one of way. those things. Yeah. 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 So uh, I'm super excited. We have been preparing for the arrival of our new little baby for several weeks now. And in that time, we've gotten a new cat as well. So things got Maybe. interesting really fast around here, going from having just two dogs, one of them very tiny, we already have a little miniature pincher, and one cat to now we have three dogs and two cats. We're getting close to where I <laughs> met you, like your animal count. And then it got even crazier. And then like maybe for Easter, I will get a new flock of chickens. No, no, <laughs> no one encouraged her on social media. Nothing. I I can't live this life again. Um, oh, Mandy, I have something fun to tell you that I was saving to tell you in person well, on this screen. Guess what movie I watched that all of our listeners said for us not to watch, but I didn't listen what it's scary midsummer oh yeah i remember people saying don't watch that don't watch that why would you watch that i know i watched (laughs) it over four nights because i had to divide it up because i decided i kept seeing it on like max and it was all very sunny because i guess it takes place during midsummer and so i was like i can handle anything that's sunny i can't um i had to google like (laughs) what are the really scary parts so i like would put my hand up over the screen like during the parts i knew were coming so was i as scared as i could have been no was i terrified yes i have Um, to go watch it now like i absolutely have to i love a scary movie i made it i just heard that it was more disturbing than scary very disturbing well it's very like shocking when things happen like it it is very shocking and like wasn't expecting it and uh the makeup department slash graphics department did quite well because i was terrified um well in the spirit of valentine's day (laughs) i will go and watch midsummer i I thought that made a lot of sense so i i went with it you know i'm not going to watch romantic comedy so that made more sense Perfect. (laughs) All right, Melissa. Well, we will get into the story for this week. This is honestly 
just man, the most wild story. Things really are not what they seem in this story. And it's kind of not often that you really hear that with a story like this. Let's just get straight into it. On the night of May 20th, 2016, 31-year-old Nikki Vander Hayden and her boyfriend, Doug Detry, got a babysitter and headed out for a fun evening with their friends. They started the night at a bar called The Watering Hole in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where they had some drinks and enjoyed a Steel Panther concert. After the concert ended, Doug went to the bathroom, and when he came out, he learned that his girlfriend Nikki and some of their friends had actually left and gone to another bar a few miles up the road called The Sardine Can. Doug wasn't really concerned about this or upset. He knew Nikki was with a group of trustworthy people, so he decided that he was going to stay behind at the watering hole with another friend so they could just have some drinks together there. At some point, as the alcohol started to affect Nikki, she started sending Doug a series of angry text messages for seemingly no reason at all. Doug tried to calm her down and told her he would be at the sardine can to meet up with her soon, but Nikki just couldn't calm herself down. She eventually told Doug that she had met up with someone she knew, but she didn't say who it was. Nikki eventually left the sardine can before Doug arrived, despite one of their friends that went out with a group that night trying to actually stop her. Nikki became physically aggressive with this friend, so he backed off and just let her go, and he last saw her walking down Maple Avenue before going back inside the bar. When Doug arrived, he and his friend tried calling Nikki several times to find out where she was. At one point, she answered the phone, and they told Nikki to let them know where she was at so that they could come pick her up, but then the call was suddenly dropped as if Nikki's phone had either died or just got shut off, and the rest of their calls just went straight to her voicemail. After driving around the area near the sardine can to no avail, Doug and his friend went inside the bar and stayed for about an hour but nobody from the original group that went out that night was still there. Doug's friend drove him home at around 2.15 a.m., and he arrived between 2.30 and 2.45. Doug told the babysitter that he and Nikki got into a fight, and he and his friend were concerned because they didn't know where she was. The sitter tried calling Nikki's phone three to four times, but the phone, as we said, was either dead or had been powered off. Sometime after 3 a.m., Doug fell asleep, hoping Nikki had just decided to stay the night with a friend. At around 6.30 a.m., he woke up to feed the couple's six-month-old son, and then he went back to sleep until around 10.30. At this point, Nikki still wasn't home, and she hadn't returned any of his calls, so Doug decided to report her missing later that day. Nicole Meyer was born on March 29, 1985, in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, to her parents, Steve and Vicki. She had one sister and two brothers. After graduating from high school in 2003, Nikki went on to earn a bachelor's degree in science and education from the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. She was working as a substitute teacher in the Green Bay Area public school system. During this time, Nikki married someone with the last name Vander Hyden, and she welcomed two children, one in or around 2006 and another one in or around 2007. This marriage ultimately ends in divorce, and Nikki later started dating Doug Dietrich. In 2015, this couple had a son together, and their son was just six months old at the time of the story. Nikki, Doug, and the kids lived on a quiet block of Berkeley Road in Ledgeview. Nikki was described as being a devoted mom with a beautiful smile who had a passion for the outdoors, fitness, and leading an organic and holistic lifestyle. She loved spending time in nature, going on hikes, or just enjoying the scenery. 
She was someone that really found a lot of joy in the little things in life. She also loved her family deeply and put them first in her life at all times. So this would have been completely out of character for her to have run off without her children. So the fact that she never returned home after being separated from her boyfriend during a night out was very concerning. Also, at this time, the baby's six months. Uh, She's apparently nursing. So just from a physical standpoint, being away from your baby overnight and longer physically would be extremely hard. For sure. Yeah, and then obviously if the baby is mostly nursed, it's that's hard for the baby as well. So it was around 4.30 p.m. on May 21st, 2016, when Doug reported Nikki missing. He was very cooperative and forthcoming with information, and he willingly allowed the police to examine his phone. He explained the story about how he and Nikki had gone out with some friends in Green Bay the night before, but at some point they got separated from each other, with Nikki going to a different bar with some of their friends, while Doug stayed behind with a different friend. Doug eventually goes to the bar where Nikki had gone, she wasn't there, and she never returned home. So Doug was also honest about the fact that Nikki was upset with him the last few times he spoke with her that night, and that she was also seen by another friend walking away from the bar before her phone was eventually powered off or went dead. Doug said that he and his friend made attempts to locate Nikki, but ultimately went home and went to sleep only to realize the next day that something was really wrong. The couple's babysitter described Nikki and Doug's relationship to the police as being somewhat troubled due to Nikki's complaints about Doug's lack of employment and how little time he wanted to spend with her and their new baby. Honestly, those kind of sound like typical relationship struggles, especially when you have a new baby in the mix. To me, that doesn't sound like overly concerning. No. The sitter said that on the night Nikki disappeared, she put the baby to bed and then fell asleep on the sofa in the living room. Doug and his friend then came in at around 2.40 a.m., and Doug was being quite noisy despite the fact that his baby was upstairs sleeping. He was upset, and he was discussing multiple options for where he thought Nikki could be. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to Doug at the time, a woman's body had been found in a farmer's field on Hoffman Road in Bellevue, which is about three miles away from where Nikki and Doug lived. Three people were helping to clear rocks from this field on the afternoon of May 21st when they spotted the body lying face down in an area of tall grass and brush about 15 to 20 feet down an embankment. The woman was only wearing socks and a pink wristband, like the kind that you would get when you go to a bar or an event. Her body showed signs of obvious trauma with scratches and abrasions all over her back. There was blood all over the woman's body, but none was on the ground around her, which meant that she had been killed somewhere else. The tire tracks found in the field suggested that a vehicle similar to or matching a 1999 Chevy Trailblazer had recently been in the area. The owners of the field were confirmed to not own any vehicles with tires that match these tracks. While deputies were processing the scene, they heard over the radio that Nikki Vander Hayden had been reported missing by her boyfriend, Doug, and they immediately thought it was possible that this deceased woman in the field could be Nikki, but they couldn't be sure until an autopsy was performed. Nevertheless, news of a body being discovered spread through town, and at some point that afternoon, after he's already reported Nikki missing, Doug hears about this discovery as well. And we have so much to get into with this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. (laughs) 
This time of year, the days feel so short. You wake up, you blink, and it's dark again. It's giving Jodie Foster in True Detective North Country darkness. I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to do after working a long day is to head out to the grocery store in the dark and try to use my remaining brain cells to piece together a meal to make for my family. That's why I'm so glad Hungry Root is a sponsor of our show. Hungry Root follows a simple rule. The food has to taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole, trusted ingredients. And to that I say, check, check, and double check. One of my favorite Hungry Root meals was the cheesy fajita chicken sandwich. It was easy to make, delicious to taste, and left me feeling full after eating it, which kept me away from the nighttime snacks. But Mandy, what if you want some nighttime snacks? Well, Hungry Root actually recommends groceries and recipes based on your personal taste. This includes fresh produce, high-quality meats and seafood, as well as pantry treats and healthy snacks and sweets. But beyond all of that, each order is fully customizable, and with our code, you can get 40% off, which... With girl math, you're basically making money ordering Hungry Root. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Moms and Mysteries listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash moms to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash moms. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. You've heard us talk about Lumi for a while now, and that's because we are big fans. Lumi is a game-changing whole-body deodorant designed by an OBGYN to work not only on pits, but also feet, privates, and anywhere else you get odor. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long thanks to its one-of-a-kind pH-optimized formula, and they've got over 275,000 five-star reviews to show for it. Being pH-balanced means it's safe to use everywhere, even below the belt, and this isn't one of those let's-cover-a-smell-with-a-fragrance. Lumi is actually formulated and powered by mandelic acid to actually stop odor before it starts, making it your very own pre-odorant. I'm a big fan of the Lumi wipes and I keep them in my purse. They're perfect to have on hand for after the gym or when you just know it's going to be a long day, which every day feels like at this point. And if you're like, hey, I shower, I don't need Lumi. Number one, that's great big fan of showers. But number two, Lumi is clinically proven to control odor better than a shower with soap alone. It just gives you that burst of confidence you need when you're out in the world peopling. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code and link. That's over 40% off their starter pack too. Use code MOMS for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T.com. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we have learned that they have now found a body near Nikki and Doug's home. Doug has now heard about it, but at this point, he's already reported her missing. So they're trying to figure out, obviously, whose body this is, while also looking for Nikki and realizing there could be a connection. Shortly after midnight on the night that she was reported missing, Doug voluntarily went to the Brown County Sheriff's Office and gave an interview. He told officers that he wanted to provide as much information as possible to help find Nikki. It was noted during this meeting that Doug had no visible injuries or scratches on his arms or hands. He mentioned that he saw a news report about a body being found in a field, and he asked the officers point blank if it was Nikki. They told him that while there were a lot of similarities between Nikki and the woman they found, they couldn't confirm that it was her just yet. 
but they did tell Doug that the woman they found had a pink wristband on her wrist. And that's when Doug realized it had to be Nikki. They were given pink wristbands at the concert they attended the night Nikki was last seen. When Doug realizes that, you know, this is definitely her, he completely loses it and breaks down in tears. And he's sobbing to the point of hyperventilating. The next day, which is May 22nd, officers carried out a search warrant on Doug's house. He was very cooperative about it and told officers he understood that they had to do their job, but he soon realized that these detectives actually thought he was responsible for Nikki's murder, and that's when he decided to hire an attorney. Later on that day, Nikki's clothes and purse were found on a highway ramp at State Road 172 and Monroe Road. Her pants were found inside out, and they had blood and dirt on them. On May 23rd, fears were confirmed when dental records showed that the body in the field did belong to Nikki. She died from ligature strangulation and severe blunt force trauma to the head, but it was not possible to determine which of these injuries came first. The severe head trauma included a skull fracture and a broken jaw, and there were cord marks on her neck. Other internal and external injuries were found throughout her body. She was covered in bruises, mostly on her arms, legs, and back, and the injuries to her head were so severe that they caused major hemorrhaging. There were signs that Nikki had put up a fight. She had defensive wounds on her hands, feet, and wrists, as well as broken fingernails. There was blood pooled around her wounds, which indicated that she was alive for quite some time during this brutal beating. The bruising found all over Nikki's body appeared to be from being stomped or kicked, which left irregular geometric shapes and repetitive zigzag patterns on her back, which they concluded was likely from the bottom of a shoe. Additionally, there was evidence to suggest that she had been sexually assaulted. Nikki's body was found to have a total of 241 separate injuries. Oh my gosh. When I read that, I was just honestly blown away. Like I just, my heart like sank Just thinking about the attack that she endured. Later on May 23rd, investigators got a new lead when they got a call from the neighbor across the street from Doug and Nikki's house. This neighbor had found a piece of electric cable and some blood in his front yard when he was mowing on the morning of May 21st. But at that time, he just assumed the blood was from an animal and this piece of electric cord could have just fallen off of a passing truck, you know, a piece of scrap or garbage. But when he heard the news about Nikki's body being discovered, he decided to call the police and tell them what he found. I'm actually surprised, right? At first, I thought surprised. But then I was like, well, he does live across the street from them. So then I guess if you were their neighbor, you would be like, hmm. And you've seen police there and everything. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And you've heard that like your neighbor, you know, is missing or whatever. Then you'd be like, well, this might actually be worth something. If you just lived randomly across town, I would not. That's where I was kind of like where her body was found. That's where I was like, "Eh, it's not that close to it. But you're right. Right. They've seen police and everything there. Yeah. So officers ended up finding even more evidence in this neighbor's yard, including hairs in the blood that he saw. They found hair pins and they found two pieces of electric cable. Swabs of the blood were collected and sent for DNA testing and other forensic tests confirmed that all of these items were in fact linked to Nikki. At this point, investigators know that Nikki was attacked very close to her own home, which, of course, makes Doug look even more like a suspect in this. On the night of the 23rd, his house was once again searched with a warrant, and officers seized a pair of Air Jordans that appeared to have blood on them. They also took another pair of shoes that had a pattern on the bottom that was consistent with the print found on Nikki's back. 
Additionally, they found blood on the garage floor near Nikki's car, and her car itself had smudges and stains on it that appeared to be consistent with blood. This led police to believe that her car was used to transport her body. More blood was found on a tissue and in the shower in the upstairs bedroom. So now more than ever, investigators are piecing things together, and they believe that Doug and Nikki had gotten into this bad argument that somehow ended up outside in the street where Nikki was eventually murdered. So their theory was basically Doug comes home, the sitter goes home. At three o'clock, Nikki comes home, this altercation takes place, and that's when she's killed. So officers moved quickly to bring in the only suspect that made sense to them, and that was Doug. And so Doug was arrested on suspicion of murder. Doug was, as you can imagine, completely distraught during his arrest and into the next day when officers took a cheek swab for his DNA. He was crying big time. He has this red face and puffy eyes, and it's noted that he appeared extremely sad. Doug was held on a $1 million bond, but he was not formally charged with Nikki's murder. I thought that was interesting that Me it's too. suspicion of murder, right? Mm-hmm. And that high of a bond for suspicion of murder. Right. So officers told the public that there was no danger and that Nikki's murder was an isolated incident that didn't involve any strangers, which, of course, makes the community feel a lot better knowing, you know, they know who did this. This isn't right. just a random thing. We don't all need to be worried about about some unknown suspect being on the loose. But as I said in the beginning, things aren't always what they appear to be. And this is a case that really, truly highlights the importance of completely following through with an investigation before accusing the wrong person of a heinous crime. By June 10th, investigators had found new evidence that exonerated Doug. After Doug was initially arrested, police asked for anyone who saw or had contact with Nikki and Doug on May 20th and 21st to please come forward to see if they could help them find any potential evidence or detail that maybe the police just weren't yet aware of that could help the case one way or the other. Analysis of Doug's phone revealed that his Fitbit, which was connected to his phone through an app, had registered just 12 steps between the hours of 3.10 and 6.10 a.m. on May 21st, which made it very unlikely that he could have killed Nikki. Results from other forensic tests run on the physical items they collected into evidence also determined that Doug had no connection to these items or to Nikki's murder at all. The swabs from her body and the pieces of cord found in the neighbor's yard did reveal a consistent male DNA profile, but that DNA profile did not match Doug's. It was found that the blood on the garage floor at Doug's house was from a turkey Doug had killed weeks earlier, and the smudges they saw on Nikki's car weren't even blood at all. Furthermore, the blood spots on the pair of shoes, tissues, and shower didn't match Nikki's DNA either. All of these new developments led police to drop the charges against Doug, and they released him from custody on June 10th. Prosecutors released a statement that essentially said there wasn't sufficient evidence to issue criminal charges against Doug. After being cleared as a suspect, Doug continued raising his infant son while Nikki's other two children went to live with their father. Honestly, it's great to see that the police department followed this. And when things started to not look like Doug, they really took it seriously and didn't try to make Doug fit. Yes. You know, the evidence, the evidence led them to where they needed to go. So once Doug is off this list, investigators were really back at square one. So they decided to shift their focus to look at how Nikki got back to her house that night. So remember, she's at this bar called the Sardine Can when one of the friends from the group sees her walking alone shortly before Doug arrived at the bar. 
There was also the one phone call where Doug and his friend tried to get Nikki to tell them where she was, but the call was disconnected and her phone was unreachable after that. The next morning, Doug assumed Nikki hadn't made it home at all. The evidence from the neighbor's house proved that Nikki did make it back to her neighborhood or back to her house that night, although she never made it inside. So how did she get there and what actually happened after that? Detectives obtained video footage, they re-interviewed witnesses, and they re-examined phone logs, but none of this provided any new answers. They started to worry that Nikki's murder was on the road to becoming a cold case until they finally got the big break they were waiting for in August of 2016, which is about three months after her murder. Results on some of the evidence finally came back, and an autosomal testing on the socks Nikki was wearing were found to have DNA from both a male and a female. So the female DNA was a match to Nikki, as you would assume, and the male profile matched the DNA found on the pieces of cord from the neighbor's yard. So because this type of test was more extensive than the one run on the electric cord, the forensic analyst was then able to enter the profile into a national database, and a short time later, the DNA profile came back with a match. It belonged to George Stephen Birch, a 38-year-old man from Virginia who was six foot seven and weighed 265 pounds. And of course, this is great news for the case, but it's still unclear exactly who this man is. He has no connection to Nikki or Doug or any of their friends, it seems, and nobody even really knows who he is. So it was soon learned that George had a criminal record back in Virginia that included a conviction for damage to property in 1997, burglary and possession of a concealed weapon by a felon in 1998, driving under the influence of alcohol and possession of marijuana in 2011, and grand larceny in 2016. He was actually on probation for the grand larceny at the time of Nikki's murder and had pending warrants in Virginia. Notably, George was actually acquitted of murder in Virginia when he was just 20 years old. He was accused of five counts relating to the shooting death of a neighborhood rival named Joey White, but a jury ended up finding him not guilty. Despite being a fugitive, though, George actually got himself into some other weird and suspicious things in Green Bay, and this is all taking place after Nikki's murder. He was investigated in June of 2016 for three incidents involving the same vehicle. So this is where things are like, what is going on yeah. here? So this is just a short time after Nikki's murder that all of this is happening simultaneously. At this point, they don't know George is connected to the case, but they're investigating these three incidents with this vehicle. So one was a stolen vehicle report, one was a vehicle fire, and the other was a hit and run. And at this time, this guy, George, was living in Green Bay with this couple who we'll call the Joneses, and they had lent him their extra vehicle, which happened to be a Chevy Trailblazer, so that he could travel for work. George had been living with this couple since February of that year. Um, they had offered him a place to stay after they heard he was having some marital problems back in Virginia, and he needed somewhere to go. Apparently, he just arrived, you know, in Green Bay at their house with not very much personal belongings with him. He had just a few things, and one of those items was a pair of Air Jordan shoes. They bought him a train ticket and rented a room in their house out to him. They also got him a cell phone, and they loaned him their cars, including the Chevy Blazer, which is the same one that he has reported all these three incidents on, and conveniently the same type of vehicle that police believe has left tracks at the site where Nikki's body was found. So all of this is clearly starting to line up. And right. it's, given the time that this is happening, it's kind of looking like 
he has used this vehicle in Nikki's murder potentially and has been trying to get rid of it or destroy evidence that might be attached to this blazer. Yeah. Wow. So the Joneses noticed that the blazer they were letting George use was missing, which they actually reported to the police on June 8th. A Green Bay officer responded to the complaint and found out that the blazer in question was actually involved in a hit and run and a vehicle fire the night before. That's a really bad night for this blazer. So George was questioned and he admitted that he did drive the blazer, but he denied having any involvement in the hit and run or the fire. The Joneses told police that George's girlfriend, who we're going to call Jesse, lived in the area where this hit and run happened. George claimed he never went over to his girlfriend's house that night, but said they did send texts back and forth while he was at the bar. Eventually, she stopped responding to him and he went home. The officer asked if they could look through George's text to confirm his story because they didn't believe that he wasn't involved in this hit and run. And they also wanted proof that he didn't go over to Jesse's. George agreed, and his phone was hooked up to a computer to have the data downloaded from it. This data didn't show any proof that George was involved in the accident, which the officer later wrote in his report about the incidents involving the blazer. He also wrote that the cause of the fire was unknown and that there were no current suspects in the theft of the vehicle. The report also stated that another officer was still working on the hit-and-run incident. All of the data downloaded from George's phone was kept for police records. So when the sheriff's office, which is who was investigating Nikki's murder, finds out that the local police have this phone data, they request a copy of it for their own investigation. And this is how they ultimately found some damning evidence against George. According to his internet history, George had viewed news stories about Nikki's murder 64 times between May 22nd and June 6th. They also found George's Google account and subpoenaed the Google dashboard records associated with that account. These records can show a cell phone's location at a given time using data collected from cell phone towers, Wi-Fi, and the phone's GPS. These Google dashboard records showed that George's phone was near all relevant locations involving Nikki's murder in the early morning hours of May 21st. Records proved that George was within half a mile of the sardine can at 2.45 a.m. on May 21st. His phone then traveled to his nearby residence for a short time before moving to a location near Nikki and Doug's house, where it stayed from 3.01 to 3.52 a.m. The next location of George's phone was in the field where Nikki's body was found. He was there from 3.58 to 4 a.m., Five minutes later, he was at State Road 172 and Monroe Road, which is where Nikki's clothing was found. Finally, George's phone was back at his own residence by 4.28 a.m. Later that day, George sends his girlfriend Jesse a photo of himself on a fishing trip. And this picture is so creepy. He's just got the biggest smile on him and like holding this, this fish and doesn't have a care in the world. And although George was driving this Chevy Blazer that night... Keep in mind, it had been destroyed in this vehicle fire, so they were unable to search the vehicle for evidence. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. These days, we talk a lot about fast fashion. You know the stuff. You buy it cheap for this week, and next week, a string has been snagged, and turns out that string was literally the key to keeping this cute shirt together, and now you're left with just a random thread. But the problem is, good quality clothes come with a steep price, right? 
That's not actually the case with Quince. Shopping with Quince is a dream. Scanning over the website, it was a lot of me saying, oh, I love that, and that, and also that, at just about every single thing I saw. But what's really nice is that Quince has high-quality yet affordable pieces. You can upgrade your wardrobe to luxury essentials all while staying on a budget. For example, their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters start at just $50 for cashmere. Let that sink in. I got one in a classic black, and it's the perfect thing to wear to a night out for dinner. And it's such a chic, high-quality sweater that I can put it away when it gets crazy hot and pull it out to wear again next year because it'll always be in style. Plus, Quince's items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. You can't find this kind of quality plus the price anywhere else. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash moms for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash moms to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash moms. I'm known for a few things. Amongst the most important to me is my love of family, love of Diet Coke, and of course, my love of reality TV. One thing I'm not known for, though, is my memory skills. And that's where Rocket Money has really helped save the day for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. If you're someone who's a sucker for a seven-day free trial like I am, Rocket Money has your back. A lot of my seven-day trials turn into months of subscriptions because I simply forget about it. But with Rocket Money, I can see exactly how I'm spending my money, and let me tell you, it can be a real eye-opener. Who knew I was spending so much money on McDonald's Diet Cokes? I mean, I'm not going to stop, but it did make me realize that canceling just a couple subscriptions would actually pay for the Diet Cokes themselves. Speaking of subscriptions, Rocket Money lets you know how many of those you have and how much you're paying for them. And if you decide, hey, I've only used that the first day, why did I think I'd ever use a filter that shows what I would look like if I was in World War I? Rocket Money can actually cancel that subscription for you, making it easy and painless. And it's not just Melissa and I that are saving money. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Rocket Money also alerted me to a few of my necessary subscriptions. You know, like the streaming service that plays Love is Blind and lets me know that the price has increased. I appreciate that kind of alert because it makes you analyze what you're actually paying for and where the limit is in what you're willing to, much like what the contestants of Love is Blind should be looking at. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash moms. That's rocketmoney.com slash moms. Rocketmoney.com slash moms. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now back to the episode. So we've been discussing the murder of Nicole Vander Hayden. And in the beginning of the case, it was really looking like all the evidence was kind of pointing to her boyfriend who she lived with and had a six-month-old son with. But the police ended up finding through their investigation that there was no way her boyfriend could be responsible. And they ended up identifying the male DNA on Nikki's body with a man named George. So George was arrested on September the 7th. 
He immediately asked for a lawyer, but the police were able to take a cheek swab from him and send that off for testing. George was held on a $2 million cash bond, but he still was not formally charged with murder. At first, prosecutors and the investigators kept quiet about what had led them to George, but they did say that the evidence they found exonerated Doug of any involvement in Nikki's murder, and they asked the public to come forward with any information pertaining to George. Soon, the DNA profiles from George's cheek swab came back, and it was confirmed that he was the source of the DNA found on Nikki's sock and the other items of evidence. He was officially charged with first-degree intentional homicide. During the preparation phase for George's trial, his defense filed a motion claiming that Doug actually was the real killer. The story they told to justify this opinion was really interesting, uh, to say the least. I feel like somebody really thought they did something here. Um, So the defense (laughs) alleged that George was having consensual sex with Nikki in his car outside of her and Doug's home. And Doug walked up and caught them. And at this point... Doug strikes George in the head and knocks him unconscious. And then when George wakes up, he says he sees that Nikki is dead and Doug's pointing a gun at him while threatening to shoot him if he didn't help him move and dispose of Nikki's body in this nearby field. So typically, a defendant would need to get approval from the court if they were planning to accuse another person as part of their defense strategy. But in this case, an agreement was actually reached on both sides, and that agreement was that they would allow George to present these accusations and evidence, quote-unquote, against Doug, but only if George testified at his trial. That's super interesting. Yeah. And I feel like smart on the prosecution side. Yeah. So they also tried to get the judge to throw out the Fitbit data, claiming that it was unreliable evidence. But the judge ended up agreeing to keep the sleep data out of the trial, and he allowed the step data to be heard. The reason the judge said he didn't want the sleep data included was because actually while this case was going on, at the same time, Fitbit was being sued for having inaccurate sleep data. So the judge said you can't use that one. But the lawsuit against Fitbit didn't have anything to do with the step data, so... The judge said that must be valid. We can include the fact that um, Doug only walked 12 steps, you know, in the time frame that Nikki was supposedly murdered. So lastly, uh, the defense tried to have George's phone data tossed out because they claimed that the sheriff's office didn't have a warrant to access this information. If you remember, it was actually the phone data was obtained by the Green Bay local police department. And then the sheriff's department investigating Nikki's murder said, hey, we actually want that. Can you hand it over? Now, in the trial, George's defense is trying to say that should never have been allowed, that the sheriff's department didn't have um, a warrant for that information. The judge ended up deciding that George had consented to having his phone downloaded, and uh, he didn't specify any limitations on the use that they were going to be doing, you know, in any of this paperwork that he signed. So therefore, this was admissible as evidence. George's trial began on February 19th, 2018. The prosecution presented the cell phone data, proving that George was in the area of the sardine can, Nikki's residence, the field where her body was discovered, and on the route where her clothing was found. They said that George left his DNA all over the evidence and on Nikki's body. Notably, though, Doug's DNA was not present. It was their theory that George went fishing with the Joneses after the murder and later sent his girlfriend a photo of himself catching a fish. 
Upon his return from the fishing trip, George visited Jesse, and she later said that he had short hair at the time, and she noticed no visible injuries to any part of his body, including his head. And of course, this is important to note because George's whole thing that he was planning to testify was that Doug hit him over the head and knocked him out. So Jesse testified that George was not in distress, and he didn't talk about the murder at all with her. The Joneses told a similar story that when they were on their fishing trip, George didn't mention anything unusual happening the night before, and he also didn't have a head injury. Prosecutors presented Doug's Fitbit data showing that he couldn't have been the killer. Doug took the stand and explained how he had been nothing but cooperative with the police and that he had hired an attorney when he thought they suspected him of Nikki's murder. The defense was very hostile on Doug's cross-examination. At one point, they said Doug took a shower before police arrived because he wanted to get rid of evidence that he killed Nikki, but prosecutors actually objected and prevented Doug from having to answer this question. But the defense went all in on accusing Doug of being Nikki's killer, and they went so far as to say that the quote-unquote toxic relationship between Doug and Nikki is what led to her murder. They also boldly claimed that all the evidence pointed to Doug and not George. Are we looking at the same Which is really interesting- yeah, like, <laughs> what evidence are we talking about? Because DNA, right? Uh, definitely not not on Doug, but definitely on George. So George testified that he had met Nikki at Richard Cranium's bar that night, and she appeared to be alone. He said he thought she was pretty, so he started talking to her. One thing leads to another, and they wound up leaving together. George claimed that he took Nikki back to his place, but when they got there, his roommates were still awake, so they left. He said Nikki gave George directions to her house, but had him pull over, not quite across the street. So according to George's story, when they arrived on Nikki's street, they noticed that there was a light on inside of her house, and Nikki allegedly commented that it was probably the babysitter still awake inside. So they sat in his car for a little while before, allegedly, they began kissing, and eventually they had sex. According to Doug's account, Nikki was lying on the back seat of his car and he was standing outside the rear passenger door. He claimed that she had her pants completely off, which is an important detail that will come up later because of the timing. Nikki's poor family and friends were just absolutely disgusted having to sit and listen to George tell this completely ridiculous story. And anyone who met Nikki even one time would be able to tell you that she just wasn't the type of person who would be having sex with a stranger in a car right in front of her house where her son and boyfriend are potentially right inside. George said the next thing he remembered was waking up on the ground next to the curb with his pants around his ankles and Nikki was on the ground behind his car and her face was bloody and she wasn't moving. He claimed Doug was pointing a gun at him and then forced him to get up and put Nikki's body in the car. George said that Doug forced him to drive to the field while he sat in the back seat behind him. And when they got there, Doug made him take Nikki's body out of the car. George claimed that at some point Doug got distracted, so George was able to run back to the car and escape. And then as he was racing home to get to safety, he noticed that Nikki's clothing and purse were still in the back seat of his car, so he threw them out the window in a panic. When he got home, George immediately got in the shower, which is when he said he realized that the back of his head was sore. It wasn't cut or bleeding. It was just sore. George washed his bloody clothing and then he went to sleep. The next day, he went fishing with the Joneses, but didn't tell anybody what happened. George claimed he was scared to tell the police about this incident because he's already on probation for grand larceny in Virginia and technically isn't even supposed to be in the state of Wisconsin in the first place. 
So he says that he knew this probation violation by itself could land him five years in prison, and that's why he kept quiet. That was his story, and that's the one he was sticking to. Prosecutors fought back against George's totally false testimony, and they pointed out how utterly ridiculous the story was. In one instance, the prosecutor sarcastically said, quote, So Nicole would rather have sex with you in front of her neighbor's home with your butt hanging out of the door of the car than ask the babysitter to go home? George responded that he didn't know he wasn't the one making decisions. Prosecutors confronted George with their theory of what they believe really happened, which was that George gave Nikki a ride home and fully expected that it would end in sex. When Nikki attempted to get out of the car and go into her house without having sex, George attacked her. He strangled her with the electric cord and wrestled her to the ground in front of her house. They also questioned how any sane person could go through being assaulted, held at gunpoint, and forced to carry the mangled body of a woman down an embankment, but then managed to go fishing the next day with a smile on his face and no cares in the world. On rebuttal, prosecutors told the jury the truth, which was that Nikki did not consent to having sex with George that night, and her clothes proved it. Her pants were found inside out, bloody and dirty, which would not be the case had she removed them willingly, nor would it be the case if she removed her pants before Doug supposedly attacked and killed her. On March 1st, the jury deliberated for just three hours before finding George guilty of first-degree intentional homicide. He would receive an automatic life sentence, but the judge could choose to give him the opportunity for parole. Nikki's family asked that the judge show no mercy and to sentence George to life without the possibility of parole. Doug submitted a statement that talked about the heartbreaking difficulty of one day having to explain to his and Nikki's little boy why he doesn't have his mother. He asked the court to show George the same amount of mercy he showed Nikki, which was none. The judge ended up sentencing George to life without parole. He said, quote, what if this were a death penalty state? Would this be the kind of case, given the set of facts that would justify the death penalty? The answer is yes. And for that, Mr. Birch, you have to die in prison, end quote. According to USA Today, George, who declined to speak before sentencing, showed no reaction, but rocked back and forth slightly in his chair as he listened to the judge call Nikki's murder, quote, the most brutal murder committed by one person in the history of Brown County. George has appealed his conviction, but he was not successful. George is currently incarcerated in the Fox Lake Correctional Institution, and unless he succeeds with an appeal, he will be there until the day he dies. Truly, truly horrifying and awful case. If there's like just one takeaway from this, it's please be careful when you are out and meeting people. And like, this is such like, this is like the worst case scenario that you can think about when you're going out and you're alone as a woman at a bar or, you know, and you're in a vulnerable state. Like this is literally like the worst case scenario that women can find themselves in. And just to think of what she went through before her death is just like truly horrifying. Absolutely. And all of this happening right in front of her house, like she's so close to being home and home is, you know, where you should feel safe that that like, I don't know, that's just an extra bit that is just so hurtful for her to have gone through all of that right in front of her own house. And just the extent that she was hurt when she was being murdered is just absolutely horrifying i just feel for her whole family and of course doug and um, her little boy her little kids yeah Yeah. just so sad yeah 
Well, that was the story for this week. Uh, Melissa, would you like to turn the page and end on a sweeter note? For Ooh, last I like thing how before you did we that. go. <laughs> yes. So when this episode comes out, it's very close to Valentine's Day. So we thought we would do something in that world for Last Thing Before We Go. If this is your first time listening to Last Thing Before We Go, we just kind of do a little palate cleanser at the end of the episode and just end on a happy note. So this week, uh, we are like making up our own conversation hearts, like the little candies you get at Valentine's Day or that you give out. Oh, are we making and them up? I just found some. Oh, I found some from sure. over. I went and found a list that has like from over the years, the most popular ones that goes back like oh, several nice. years about what has been printed on candy hearts. Well, then um, you did that and then I made up some. So that great. So now we have variety. Okay. Okay, good. Because I was just going to share the ones that I think are absolutely some of them that are terrible. Like, why would okay, you good. put this on a candy heart? <laughs> <laughs> Mine will probably be that as well. But go ahead. Oh, what's your first one? Well, before we get started, did you know, oh, Melissa, sorry. that um, candy conversation hearts have been around since 1902? Okay, I did because I just read about it and the way they came about was crazy. Yeah, so I don't, I didn't read like the whole entire story. I just was surprised that they have been around that long. That seems like so long. Yeah. But it was started because of like they were trying to make like throat lozenges or something into like a different shape. And that's when they realized like they could make a heart and stuff. And then it became candy. Oh, wow. Interesting. Look at that. Together we made a whole story. (laughs) Right. And we're always telling kids that like medicine is not candy. But apparently here wasn't that far of a jump. (laughs) (laughs) So there's obviously like everybody has heard of like the popular ones that are always on like the classic hearts like love you and. What are some other ones that are like the classic um, ones? You are hot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like yeah. So now we're in 2024 and the slang and lingo for oh, no. for I like you has changed <laughs> quite a bit. So apparently in 2024, you can find candy hearts that say things like goat. I'm worried. G-O-A-T. Goat? Like you're the goat. Greatest of all time. That's a good one. I like okay. that one. You can hand somebody that. You can have one that says IRL like. No. In real life like? <laughs> <laughs> That's just too many. You're trying to fit too much on there. I don't like it. And my favorite, I wish somebody would give me one that says, love you, fam. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one because you can take that a couple of different ways. Like you really you love me or like, yeah, this is a breakup. Um, yeah, yeah. So what do you got, oh, Melissa? <laughs> okay, so here's a few of mine. Mine, my first one, mine are mostly based on real ones. So mine is call me dot 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 a pizza, um, like a delivery pizza. That was funny. I wanted to laugh. I didn't get one. Call me a pizza. <laughs> okay, thank you. I needed your giggle there. Um, how about P.S. I love you. PPS, when you chew, I want to scream. Oh, that that one's for me. Oh, not you. <laughs> but I oh. guess <laughs> when you eat corn nuts, I want to scream, I guess. But I'm just thinking like, you know, whenever you're having one of those days and then you hear your husband like eating and you're like, your eyes like pop out yes, of your head. I can't Maybe take one more me. thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I've reached my limit and now you're chewing. That's terrible. Right. Um, this is for anyone who are, is in a relationship where one of you is always like the temperature is a problem. So mine is, you are hot, I am cold. <laughs> um, let's see, I'll do one more. Also temperature related, kind of. 
clearly we're going through some things here. Me plus you plus separate blankets equals love. <laughs> that's a lot to fit on a candy heart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, mine are quite big hearts. But yeah, that's that's what I've got. Oh, I love those. I love little candy hearts. Actually, do, they're do, not do you good. Like them? You don't think they're good? They don't taste good. Mm, they're kind of chalky and weird. Yeah, but like the you love them because of what they say and the fun stuff. But like, do I want to eat them? No, just give me chocolate like a normal person. Yeah, I guess it's just one of those things kind of like there's a lot of candies I feel like that come around during holidays that nobody actually likes. Like, does anyone eat peeps? I don't know. I know there's actually a group of people who do like peeps, but I hate them. And I feel like they're everywhere at Easter and like no one eats them. I feel like it's the same with candy hearts at Valentine's Day. Yeah. It's just like one that you have to give out and nobody really likes it. I know. I like peeps. I like one peep. Like, give me one. I'm done. I don't need any more. Yeah. But one is... It's fine okay. for me. So, yeah. yeah. I don't think I said in the beginning what we named the new puppy, but it I kind of gonna, goes along yes. with Valentine's Day and sweets and treats and candy. So I have said before, I'm a big candy lover. I love candy. That's why I named our first minpin Reese. She's definitely named after like Reese's peanut butter cups. And she's chocolate and rust colored miniature pincher. So now we got this new miniature pincher. And I wanted to have a name that kind of like went along with Reese. So I named the new little baby Rolo. So I now we have that. Reese and Rolo, and if people are like me and they love chocolate candy, hopefully they will appreciate these names. <laughs> I love it. I wrote on my paper dog name because I realized at some point I'm like, we didn't say it. Oh, and yeah. I love the name. It's so cute. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And it seems to fit him really well. He's so very sweet little baby. Yes. Yeah, so if you hear anything in this week's episode, it could be a little tiny puppy just crawling on Mandy, literally, the whole time. <laughs> literally. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that was the episode for this week. We will see you back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.